Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Believe in Everything Auburn is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. You can get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Just remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Campbell in the end zone. Caught. Touchdown, honor. Touchdown, honor. Nothing but green grass ahead of him. Hard as they're going to try. They're not keeping this buck off this field tonight. 100 yards. Can you believe it? I still can't believe it. Now presenting Believe in Everything Auburn. With your hosts, Taylor Davis and Jason Campbell. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. Taylor Davis, Jason Campbell. What a lovely day it is here on the podcast. Not only do we get to break down some Auburn football, we get to break down an Auburn win. And we love when that happens around here. So War Eagle, everybody. Hope you enjoyed week one, the fantastic start for the Tigers in the new freeze era. And of course, it came with a lot of crazy endings, big (laughs) moments, a lot of breaking news in the past few days that's unfolded. So Jay and I will get you caught up on all of it. But luckily, it uh, it amounted in a win and your Tigers start off the season one and oh, and that is Uh, How you want to do it. You certainly had to go in, take care of business in your home opener, create some excitement, some momentum. And I think they did that as they uh, prepare to take the road and head out to the West Coast. And my co-host will be with them as well, heading out West. Jay Cam, welcome in. And uh, tell the people a little bit about your radio debut, my guy. I, I heard nothing but great things. I'll tell you that. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, I like to say this. It, it was great. I had a really good time with Andy up in the booth. Like I said, I've done pregame and halftime for the last couple of years, but to be able to see the game and call the game uh, along with side Andy, it was uh, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. And I tell you what, Auburn was going so fast when the game first started <laughs> that Andy was looking at me and I was looking at him and he was like, dude, we got to get it in like ASAP, you know, like there was times they were snapping the ball and they haven't even set the chains yet, you know. Um, so when Coach Freeze said he wanted to go fast, he really meant it. So the second <laughs> half, we got a chance to catch our breath a little bit, game slowed down because it was kind of out of hands. But you can see the tempo that this team wants to play with. And yeah. you can see that they want to put as much pressure as possible on their opponent's defense. Like UMass was so tired, those guys couldn't even get down their stance at times. And uh, that's what this team is trying to go, or going to do going forward. And so I, I'm excited to see what this team looks like as it gets from week one to week two, because that's the, that's when you have your biggest improvement. A very exciting week one. We'll get into all the action around the country, but let's go ahead and break this one down, preview Cal a little bit. So Auburn starts the season with a 59 to 14 win at home over UMass. As expected, Peyton Thorne gets the start at quarterback, going 10 of 17 for 141 yards and a touchdown. 
and he has been coined Red Zone Robbie for good reason, <laughs> because if one thing was consistent in this game, it was that Robbie was going in if they were in the red zone. He had 51 yards rushing, three touchdowns on the ground. So it really just kind of, from the quarterback perspective, Jay, it kind of confirmed what we all suspected, that Peyton does have that passability, that leadership, that game management that the coaches mm -hmm. had alluded to, and Robbie's got the wheels and the physicality. And at this point, they utilized both, and both worked. How it'll stack up against tougher competition and better defenses, we'll see moving forward. But uh, let's just start. Quarterbacks has been the biggest storyline. Obviously, there are others that we will get to momentarily. But <laughs> give me your take on these quarterbacks and, and just their start and kind of the way the coaches handled both of them. Well, Coach Freeze had already told everybody that, you know, Robbie was going to be a part of his offense. And – it was very important that once he announced Peyton Thorne as the starting quarterback that Robbie needed to understand, like, hey, it's not time for you to sit on the sideline and just, you know, tune out. This is time right. for you to continue to, to stay involved in the game because you're always one play away, but your athleticism is going to be a plus for this football team. And if it causes a defense that you're playing for preparation to prepare for 45 minutes to an hour to figure out, how we stop Robbie Ashford on the QB keepers, how we stop Robbie Ashford on the read options and then on the bootlegs and, and different things, then you just did a favor for Peyton Thorne and the rest of the offense because totally. now they can continue to miss plays in and, and attack the defense from every level. And I know a lot of people ask me the question like, well, if you was Peyton, how would you feel? I said, well, of course, you know, Peyton probably, he's a competitor one, he's a winner mm -hmm. two, and he's a teammate. You know, so he's going to want the team to do what's best for the team to win. But a part of him do probably feels like, all right, I get to the red zone. I don't get a chance to finish off the drive. Right. You know, like that's understandable that he's going to feel that way sometimes. But I think when he gets when he looks up and we're playing against Georgia's and Texas A&M's and LSU's, he's going to realize like, OK, those touchdowns that Robbie was running early in the year are now paying dividends for me and the rest of the offense because defenses. We got them on their heels when Robbie comes in the game because it, it won't always be in the red zone. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's going to be in third down situations or in the middle of the field. And you may yeah. need Robbie to come in at that standpoint. And then Peyton may go back in the game. So I think Coach Freeze is still trying to find out that rhythm and how it flows and everything. That one Is it hard for a quarterback when you're driving down the field and you're pulled out of the game? Yes, it is very hard because you can lose your rhythm. And yeah. sometimes you see the other guy just scoring touchdowns. And you're not throwing touchdowns. You know, you can almost feel like you're forgotten, you know, and because everyone's Robbie, Robbie, Robbie. Right. And everyone's like, because he got the three touchdowns, but nobody's really talking about, you know, Peyton Thorne driving the ball down the field, taking the offense and going, you know, 60 yards and getting into the red zone. So, right. you know, they both go hand in hand. I think you really have to handle this carefully as a coach to make sure that it stays within the room as far as like mm -hmm. understanding like, Hey, we're teammates. We're going to do what's best for Auburn to win games. It's not a personal matter, but at the same time, you know, I want to make sure you two guys are okay with the format that we're rolling. And it was game one, you know, there's guys that right. can catch passes. So we'll see what happens moving forward. But uh, I, I like the offensive line. I liked all of that. So I like the start that we got off fast and we didn't play to the level of our competition. We played Auburn yes. football. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And you're right. I mean, this certainly looked to be the right decision for this coaching staff. When you saw what Peyton did, you saw what Robbie did. It, 
it went hand in hand with how this coaching staff has elected to handle all of this the past couple of weeks. But that may be a game-to-game basis because you may get up against some of these other SEC defensive fronts and realize that rhythm is actually more important than the versatility of skill set. So keeping Peyton in there would probably be what they choose to do. So this is not going to be a, a rinse and, and repeat situation week in and week out. I think it'll it'll also depend on our competition. And, and I'm curious how they handle it this week as well. Uh, but you mentioned the offensive line. I totally agree with you. What a huge improvement. I mean, you can just see the investment that has been put in to that aspect of this game. And Auburn offensive line has now looked that cohesive in a really long time. And it's four new starters. So for them to look like that much of a well-oiled machine in game one is incredibly impressive. I think they had, I think they were flagged twice. I mean, you looked across the league, Florida's getting nine penalties on Thursday night. Like you expect that in week one, especially when you've got a new group working together, two flags, I'll take it. I will take it. And (laughs) they were certainly doing their job in the run game. And and we got to talk about it because if there's one thing you and I have been harping on, it's the depth of this running back room. And boy, was it on display this weekend. Damari Alston getting the start, Brian Batie doing his thing. We saw Jeremiah Cobb, the young buck, putting on work. And Sean Jackson as well with his bowling ball self getting out there. I love this group of backs. I think they're incredible. And they would give credit to the offensive line creating those lanes. But that... You know, all of that <laughs> must mean something. Jarquez Hunter sat out of yeah. this one. Um, in news that none of us saw coming, to be honest, um, that was definitely kept under wraps. And I know my colleagues at ESPN were not notified until they saw him not in pads yeah. on uh, during warmups. You said yourself that you did not know that was going to happen. He was listed on the depth chart. And of course, all of this stemming from the off field issues that he was a part of this summer, um, clearly is still ongoing in a matter that the football program has certainly tried not to discuss because it is university issue more so than an athletic department issue. Ultimately he sits out and there is no news as to what his future uh, will entail in terms of the length of this suspension and if he will suit up and play um, at Cal. So, unfortunate situation, no matter how you cut it, but the bright side is that depth. Like, you've you've just got to have it. And for an offense like this, for a program like Auburn, it bodes well that we've got this many guys that are ready to tote the rock and do it effectively. Yeah, you talk about, you know, the offensive line and the running backs. They both go hand in hand. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, a running back can make an offensive line look good or they can make a guy miss in the open field and go to distance. Or you, you talk about an offensive line that can open a hole up that, you know, me and you could have ran through at times. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just uh, – it was good to really see because yeah. that has been Achilles' heel for this offense for the last six years, you know, mm-hmm. since 2017. And now you have a group of guys that you brought in 10 transfers at the offensive line position, and then they're gelling together. You know, that takes time to for that to happen. And the fact that these guys only had two penalties the entire game and they're all new. This is their first game playing together. 
that was huge. That means yeah. these guys have been paying attention to detail. It also means that they're veterans. They're not young guys. Mm-hmm. Even though they transferred in, they're not freshmen. You know, they, right. these are experienced offensive linemen that were starters elsewhere, and they come to Auburn. So that was a really good Jake, Coach Jake Thorne and uh, has to be really happy, and Kendall Simmons helping along with him. They have to be proud of what they saw. Um, moving forward, though, it does get a little tougher, you know. And But I thought – Looking around the league, all these penalties, you know, turnovers. You know, you saw that last night in the Clemson Duke game, like in yep. the LSU Florida State game, how it just kills drives. And yeah, and for this team to protect the football, which is what we talked about in the first game, too, is not having those false start penalties and all those different things, holding penalties mm-hmm. on defense and pass interference and all those things. This team didn't do a lot of that. This team right. was very disciplined. You can tell they've been well coached. They've been well prepared. And if that's the sign you're going to get from game one, I can't wait to see what happens down the road because that means the kids are paying attention to details. Uh, My biggest concerns in the game were, one, uh, will we get to the point to start creating separation in the passing game? We didn't have to throw it a lot this game because the simple fact that we was running it so well. And, And when you talk about those running backs running it so well, Jeremiah Cobb, you know, how about this kid? Like how he showed it? another, he showed another burst. Uh, yeah, you know, of course, Damari started off. He got him with the early touchdown. And then uh Brian Batie on the kickoff return, taking the ball five yards deep in the end zone and still getting out getting out to almost a 40-yard line. And then his burst of speed. And then you got Sean Jackson. He checks into the game and he looks like a bowling ball just running through people, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like so lack room is is so deep that yeah. You know, it's not enough footballs to go around. Mm-hmm. And Jarquez didn't even play. And he's supposed to be your bell cow. And he didn't yeah. even play. I so I I think Jarquez gotta be looking like, oh man, I've opened a door for these other guys to be seen. <laughs> you know, I, I may not get 20 carries a game. I may only get 15 a game because some of these other guys can run the ball as well and they're gonna want touches. So uh-huh. you know, that's a good problem to have because the season is so long and so deep. But I was I was so excited to see this team pretty much scoring their first with three or four drives. They took the ball down the field. Yeah. It was very efficient. And I even think from a operations and procedural standpoint, you know, we were talking about this coaching staff is going to have to learn their communication and their tendencies. And I thought that both coordinators called a great game. I I thought Mm -hmm. it showed enough versatility to kind of get guys in a rhythm, but you also could tell that there are way more cards that we still have not seen. Oh, yeah. Like there are so many of these receivers that we've been talking about all off season that did not have a reception in this game. It was a great game for Jay fair. I think everyone's mm-hmm. going to be looking for him now and Shane hooks, a guy that we've talked about, but I mean, you've got Nick Martiner wasn't even out there. Rivaldo Fairweather did not record a catch. Camden Brown did not record a catch. So like we've got way. And then you add Jarquez in there. We know he can catch out of the backfield as well if and when he returns. So there's much more to this offense that is yet to be uncovered. But I thought that it was a really effective coached game as well. And that's something to, to you know, write because this coaching staff is new and working together, you know, early in their tenure. I loved Coach Freeze's demeanor on the sideline too. I, I think that some things – that are just intangible, some things that, you know, are happening behind the scenes, they show themselves on the sideline. We could see 
there was disruption of peace with Brian Harson. We could see there was no unity toward the end of Gus Malzahn's tenure. You see some of those things. Hugh Freeze was laying into guys toward the end of the game when things got sloppy, even though we had a comfortable lead. But he was also celebrating with them. You saw the guitar thing with him and Jalen. And, like, I just felt like you saw so much of the personality and the heart of this team, even regardless of what, you know, the score was. Like, he was coaching start to finish. Game plan, operationally, communication, and execution. I thought it was a great way to start week one, especially when you think of all that they're up against. Um defensively though let's let's talk about that a little bit my only concern defensively and obviously that's going to show itself down the road we got to stop the run i mean like newsflash against these sec teams and i I thought it was a little lackluster against the run that defensive front against a umass team that honestly could have had more if their quarterback tyson pumachan had not been injured because he is definitely an effective runner they averaged 5.2 yards per carry Mm -hmm. You can't be giving that up against a, right. a school like UMass and then expect to, you know, really contest with some of these SEC schools that have a stable of running backs like we do. But the DBs absolutely showed out like expected. Yeah. Donovan Kaufman, Jalen Simpson. I, I mean, these guys, they have the energy that you expect an Auburn secondary to have. Yeah, most definitely. You know, you, you talked about Coach Freeze, his demeanor. Your team may always, you know, play a role off your coach demeanor. Yeah. You know, just look at Colorado. They came out and played hard because the way that prime is, you know, like so they play with that level of confidence and attitude. Auburn, they play with that edge that Coach Freeze tried to bring to their team. And yep. he wanted them guys to have fun. Like he said in his post game, I want them to have fun when they make plays. I just don't want them to do it on the field and get a 15 yard penalty. But when they Fair. come to the sideline, they can celebrate all they want. And I celebrate yeah. with them. And that's what he was saying is. When Jalen Simpson got the pick six, he comes to the sideline, he's doing whatever they call it, and the coach is doing it with him. He said, hey, you can do that on the sideline because you're here with me. But if you do it on the field, it's a 15-yard penalty. So he's telling them, yeah, he's telling them, look, I want you to have fun. I want you to enjoy the game. But we got to be disciplinary in the way that we do it. That was the one small thing I took from that. And the other aspect of it is our receivers, like I said, they're going to play a bigger role down the road. Because yeah. people see this run game. And I know a lot of people, when they first hear these fast-paced offenses, first thing they think is, oh, they're going to throw the ball, throw the ball, become pass-happy. Well, that was the total opposite this game. If you ever want to get an offensive line established, you got to get it established by running the football. Teach those guys how to be physical up front because it's, you can, it's easier to run block than it is to pass block. So if you can mm-hmm. start to develop the run block situation and then when the passing come, now you learn how to set your feet and sink your hips and pass deep and pass on your pass protection. It helps those guys. And you want to get those guys feeling good. You know, you saw those big guys running and high fiving people and everything. It feels good when you can push the ball down someone's throat by running the ball yeah. and you're being the force of attack. So so I, I really like that aspect in game one. Game two, I definitely expect to see more of Jair Shorter. I definitely expect to see Fairweather. I definitely expect to see Camden Brown all involved more into the offense. Uh, I think game one was they played to the strengths of their offense and to the weakness of the defense. And when Mm -hmm. you look at what we did, you know, we did we accomplished what we came out to do. Now, turn the table to defense. The first drive, UMass goes right down the field and score a touchdown. And like you said, Tyson Pumachon was – 
a big part of it, you know, yep. some of his scrambles, but the read option stuff, those different things that he added an extra element, our defense seemed to struggle with. We we seem to struggle not getting our hands off of blocks, shedding blocks and getting in there and making tackles on the run. We got to do yep. a better job of that. It doesn't hurt us against a team like this because they couldn't stop us offensively, so we got ahead. But what happens right. when you get into these tight games and the game is in the trenches and you got to be able to stop a lot of these guys to get off the field? So we've got to get these guys to get stronger. They got to understand more of technique. And those are some of the things Coach Roberts was talking about. Now, what did Coach Roberts do that I like? Coach Roberts said, okay, if we can't stop the front, the run with our front four, what we're going to do then is start to bring our nickel blitz and, and, yeah. and ball them in the run game. Everybody always think anytime they see a blitz, it's always for a pass. That's not the mm -hmm. case. He brought blitzes off the edge. So if they decide they want to run a read option, you got a guy for the quarterback, a guy for the running back. So yeah. that that neutralized UMass's run game. You saw Keontae Scott coming off the edge a lot. You saw uh, Donovan Kaufman come off the edge a lot. Both of those guys created both turnovers that Jalen Simpson got. So, yes. you know, so that was created by the guys coming off the slot. So this defense will continue to do things. There are certain blitz packages that they didn't show. You didn't have to. And uh, I expect this thing to, as we continue down the road, Taylor, I do expect our DBs to be more involved in our run defense than, than we thought maybe coming into the season. I, I mean, they look to be the effective group in that regard. Mm -hmm. They did not have Nehemiah Pritchett, and, and that mm -hmm. is obviously a leader of this defense. And so not having him out there, I don't know the extent of how long he'll be out either. But let's preview Cal a little bit. It, interesting expectations for this one. The point spread is taking Auburn. I think we're opening at a six and a half point favorite right now, but the computers are going with Cal, a 54.3% chance to win outright. So people are a like little computers. confused. I know. This. Forget computers. We don't like yeah, it. Yeah, we don't like computers. But regardless, <laughs> uh, Cal also won and oh after defeating North Texas in their week one game. 58 to 21. So again, a very lopsided win, pretty similar score to ours. Uh, definitely took care of business the way you expect to a few things to keep an eye out for as the week um, develops for them, their quarterback, Sam Jackson, who actually transferred from TCU and was appearing in his first start. He left the game early with what appeared to be a left arm or shoulder injury and did not return to that game. So he was replaced by Ben Finley, who threw for 279 yards and a touchdown. Reports said that Jackson wanted to re-enter the game, but coaches obviously were not going to risk that given the lead that they had. But it has not been announced what his status or availability is going to be for this week. So we'll keep an eye on that. They were also very effective on the ground. Jaden Ott with 188 yards, two touchdowns, and Isaiah Afonzi, three touchdowns on the ground. One thing that stands out defensively, they are susceptible to explosive plays. So if Peyton Thorne's able to connect through the air, they definitely have some holes there. Uh, defensive back Jeremiah Earby had an interception returned. 36 yards to then set up another touchdown on the ground. And they held North Texas to just 41 rushing yards. So they are definitely more capable against the run than they are the pass. Um, but I also think environment, a different atmosphere, traveling all the way to the West Coast, the schedule, which you and I have talked about, this is going to be a 930 central time kick for the Tigers. So talk to me a little bit about this one, Jay, because obviously – 
if you're Auburn, coaches always say when you're kind of up against opponents like these week one, you know, maybe mm-hmm. group of five or these Mac or whatever, it's about you. It's less about your opponent and about you. Now you bump it up a level. You go to Cal, different environment, more capable team. How much changes this week? How much more do you throw at them? Ooh, I tell you what, uh, Auburn is 0-3 in California. Uh, hmm. You know, so we lost to, to Pasadena in, in the championship game. Uh, we lost to USC in 2002. And then we lost another time. I think it was like 1936 or something like that. I'm not, not 100% sure, but we're 0-3. And wow. we got to get off of that off that bandwagon. Uh, yeah. Plus, Auburn would be playing on artificial turf this week. You know, mm-hmm. that's another thing you have to pay attention to. If you're going to be a really good football team, you have to put back-to-back games together. You totally. can't go out there and look the way you did against UMass and then totally go out to Cal and just look totally opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't want to be a yo-yo. You want to be consistent and you want to be trending in the right direction. That's what really good football teams and great football teams become. So yeah. it's important that we can go out there, keep that same energy, defensively keep that same energy, do a little bit better against the run. Cal runs the ball a, a lot better than UMass. They do. And we'll be in their territory. So we, we need to take the crowd out of it first and foremost. You don't yeah. want to go into the opponent stadium and get behind early because you get behind early. You saw what happened to Duke and Clemson last night. You know, the crowd gets loud. Communication becomes a little bit tougher. Last week for us, it was a home game for our transfers. This True. game, it's on the road. So our transfers really got to lock in and pay attention to communication because it will be louder. You are the opponent yeah. this time. So how you cry, quiet um, home teams, you jump on them. You, you come yeah. out ready to play. You, you show them that you're here for a business trip and not a vacation. We got to anticipate this being Cal's best game. But we got to anticipate going out there and handling business and putting together back-to-back wins because this is attention to detail week. Yeah, I I would love to see the tight ends get utilized a little bit more. I don't think any tight ends had a reception in week one. And I think if this Cal defense is susceptible against these explosive plays, I also think that our physicality could certainly be advantageous for us against them. And so if we could get those tight ends involved a little bit more in the passing game, I think that bodes well and opens up the playbook a little bit more for us. And I guess that, you know, it's an interesting balance here because this one in between two – I hate the term cupcake. I really do. And I, uh-huh. I it feels disrespectful, so I don't like saying it. But uh-huh. th- these opponents that you anticipate a lopsided victory, UMass and Samford, but you've uh-huh. got this one against Cal right there in the middle, and then your intro into SEC play comes. Are you saving elements for SEC play? Like, are you waiting to week four to completely open this thing entirely? Or are you going to start doing that in week two to try and get that comfortability on the field before a game like that? Oh, you most definitely want to start getting guys that, like I said, Fairweather's, Jair Shorter, Camden Brown, uh, guys that didn't get a chance to get catches last week. You want to start getting them involved in the game plan because you need their confidence to be at an all-time high when they get to these tougher opponents. Um that's why I was saying it was good to get the run game and the offensive alignment going. But then this week, your focus needs to be, okay, how do we get the other guys' confidence going? How do we mm-hmm. get Peyton Thorne confidence even higher? You know, he threw the ball 17 times, 
but how do we get him to maybe 25, 30 attempts? You know, how do we get his yeah. communication? I mean, timing with the receivers uh, going. So there's so many things you need to continue to improve on. And everything's a step. You know, it's it's one step at a time when it's a new coaching staff, it's a new team. But like you say, everything's a preparation for the tougher part of your schedule. I feel like week one told us a lot about this team, this coaching staff, and the potential. I feel like week two will actually kind of tell us a bit more truth. Again, I I actually think that, wow, is UMass improved from a 1-11 and season last year. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, like – head and shoulders better than what they were doing last year. And I actually think Tyson Pumachon is a talented quarterback. That injury certainly is unfortunate for him. Um, so they're definitely going to have a better season. But, I mean, like, it just is what it is when you're up against the SEC. Just the caliber of athletes is going to be different. The size is always just glaring when you're looking at the line of scrimmage. So to really gauge – are these teams good or not? It's kind of hard. You more so look at these week one matchups, majority of, of the SEC playing in games yeah. similar to this for, okay, what is what is the potential of this team? How are they looking from a communication standpoint, from a discipline standpoint? Who are some of their stars? But then week two, if you're playing a, a different opponent, which we are in Cal, I think you find out a bit more truth about that potential. So yeah. it will definitely be an exciting one for them. And uh, hopefully they come on back with another dub and we start out. Uh, that being said about the SEC, Florida just made us just cringe. Uh, South um, Carolina. So did South Carolina. And yeah, so South did Carolina LSU. Using the North Carolina. And then LSU. Coach what Kelly, the, what what are you doing? Like, I'm I'm just I don't understand coaches sometimes that feel like three points doesn't matter. Like, you go down to the it's fourth down. Okay, you call the play, and then once you took the timeout and it, you get a defensive time to adjust on the sideline, just take the three points because now they have a chance to adjust. Yeah, you go back down the field again, and you don't take three points again. And then all of a sudden, it feels like a turnover to the offense, and you feel deflated. But if you take those points, it was 17-14 at the half. It could have been 23-14 at the half. Now your defense can throw up different blitzes and everything at the at their opposing offense because you have the lead, and yep. you have a board and a touchdown lead. So you dig yourself in this hole, and you kill momentum by not taking points. I don't understand it. I, I just – don't understand why people think going for fourth down is just so easy, but all of a sudden three points doesn't matter. That, right. that just drives me crazy. I also don't understand coaches who literally run their mouth leading up to a game. Why are you going to give your opponent, as you say, bulletin board material? Mm -hmm. Because they're looking for it already. And as the head coach to come out and say, we're going to beat the crap out of Florida State, what are you doing? Like, I just – I especially when like you have not, I understand you, you were in the sec title game last year, but you're not Georgia. Like you're, you right. haven't proven anything yet. And this is week one. It's a clean slate for everyone. And Florida state has just as much hype around them as you do. Why that quote came out of his mouth. And then of course it does the media circuit. Why wouldn't oh, yeah. it? Oh, yeah. And then not only do they lose, they get their tails handed to them. I mean, like, mm -hmm. it was mind-boggling to me. Now, hats off to Florida State 
I think Florida State's a good team. I think Florida State could very well end up in the playoff. I think Jordan oh, yeah. Travis is as good as advertised. Mm. And this is something Mike Norvell has been building for years. The blocks have been put in place. Like, this is the year that you capitalize for sure. But LSU absolutely crumbled. And it's starting to feel like the way we've talked about Texas A&M in years past, where it's like there's no reason for you to not be good at this point. Like I can't even give you the benefit of the doubt because your recruiting is always there. I know the, mm -hmm. the money, the resources, the facilities are there. You bring in a coach that you felt good about, and you had a bunch of returners this year. You have no excuse. Like right. something like that, the only thing you turn to is coaching. They were ill-prepared. They weren't equipped for what Florida State was throwing at them. And honestly, they looked disheveled, and that's that's coaching. I've always said this. Even when he was at Notre Dame, they always run through their schedule, and they'll lose one game, and then they'll find themselves in the playoff or they find themselves in a national championship game. And then they run up into the opponent, and they just get out physical. Like it always happens. And I always said that because I like, even in this situation, Florida State came out in the second half and they just completely out physical LSU yeah. the entire game. And you're just not used to seeing that from an LSU football team. But I know what he was trying to do. He's trying to send a message to his team, but you send a message to the other team and you got Thank them you. going. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. Honestly, I felt like this weekend. And I, I really hate to say this, but no one can say the SEC was the superior conference this weekend. I mean, in the Power 5 matchups, the ones that really, really test and give you a proper gauge, like I was saying, the SEC lost. Florida State, hmm. UNC, and Utah all coming away with convincing wins. It wasn't a blocked extra point like last year. These were comfortable, multiple possession wins. And so I wasn't really surprised with Florida. I think Florida is still away from it, the way in which that happened. Because one thing I knew about Billy Napier when I covered him at Louisiana was that he is a no BS guy. He yeah. Discipline is first. Nine penalties? What is happening? That one confused me. But South Carolina... Yeah, I, I don't. I they more. need they need an offensive line so bad. That offensive line was really yeah. bad. I will give kudos to mm -hmm. UNC though, specifically their defense. Gene Chizik came back this year with a totally different approach because most of those guys were there last year, but right. they look completely different. He called such a good game. I I thought UNC defensively and look, Drake May already being talked about as a Heisman finalist and he showed why he is the real deal. Like UNC is is great. I'm giving their them yeah. credit there. But the SEC in those matchups that really can establish the the power that the SEC is in college football fell completely flat. And well, I I'll don't know this. why. I say this. Uh it, it showed that SEC is top heavy. Um, what I mean by that is Florida, they're not even your top three in the, in the SEC East. And, yeah. you know, you, you get beat by Utah. Um, you look at South Carolina, you know, I don't know, Kentucky's better, Tennessee's better, Georgia's better in, uh, in, that, in that side of the conference. So it's not like these teams play one of our bigger, bigger dolls. But people in the public will make LSU. it look like it, though. Now, LSU is the only one. That was ranked. That was some picked to win the SEC West, and to be in the playoffs, they got their butt stomped. 
other than that, the other two was kind of, you know, in the middle to the bottom of the pack. But LSU, that was a thumping. And it didn't have to look that way, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you get those field goals early in that game and you go in right. at halftime up nine instead of three, it's a totally different swing of emotions. It's a totally right. different swing of, of confidence because when you're playing in that in that stadium – and you're playing Florida State, which it was almost a home game for them. You allowed their crowd to get behind that team, and then it was just a runaway after that. So yep. it didn't have to look that way. I, I think if they played again, I think it could be a little different because he would take some of those smarter plays and not be egoish and and pass. Yeah. So you know, we look forward. We'll see what happens this week. Bama plays Texas. We play Cal. Um, it's a, another big game out there in the SEC, but we'll figure those out. Yeah, especially since it was up against the ACC, which we have all felt was just a completely dwindling conference. Mm -hmm. If they don't have Clemson, they're a non-factor. I think we're singing a different tune this this week, honestly, between the showing of UNC and Florida State. And yes, like you said, now I think Boston College lost to like Northern Illinois or something. So that's (laughs) that's definitely a strike against them. But (laughs) Um, and then yes, the Duke Clemson game, which I would like to give myself credit for going an entire episode without bringing it up, but I would just like to revisit our conversation last week where you (laughs) so kindly said that Duke has a nice campus and the greenery is pretty, but they are not a football school. And I I tried to tell you that their, their quarterback's legit. Riley Leonard is and him coming to Auburn would have been a good thing. I also told you that. And Mike Elko, unbelievable coach. Because here's the thing. When you are at a program like Duke and you take over, I love Coach Cutcliffe. I think so highly mm-hmm. of him. But they were so bad at the end of his tenure. I think they won three games his last season and none were in conference. It yeah. was really, really bad. Mike Elko took over a difficult situation they have a smaller stadium they never filled it it's a basketball school with pretty landscaping like you said (laughs) but overnight overnight this man flipped it like he came in and top to bottom he said i am hiring people to do social media i am hiring people to do student interaction i am hitting the transfer portal like he had a vision and he implemented that vision in less than two years i i don't think anyone realizes that is like if someone does that at vanderbilt duke is up against different things than a lot of the acc is up against and look what Wallace Wade Stadium was last night. Just yeah. incredible coaching. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I totally have to send an apology to Duke. Uh, yeah, they they really came out last night. They was physical on defense. Man, their defense was flying around. I know Clemson had those turnovers in the red zone. It probably could have made a little difference in the ball game, but that's part of the game, right? Defense created those turnovers. I, you yep. know, they it was hitting. And uh, one time, was you know the quarterback and the running back messed up the. The handoff, but other than that, though, Duke forced a lot of those turnovers. And mm-hmm. early in the game, they was really, really beating Clemson. They just gave up the the, the punt. They dropped the punt return. Yeah, that was that what got Clemson going. But I, I tell you what, you get the right coaches in the right places and, and with the right energy, especially yep. nowadays with the way the transfer portal is. You don't you don't have to wait two years, three years, four years to get back in the mix. You can immediately be back in the midst by just doing that. We've seen it this weekend. Exactly. And uh, 
And, you know, just even at Auburn, <laughs> we've seen it. 42 new players this season, uh, yep. you know, from signing class and transfer portal. Uh, 86 for Colorado. Uh, Duke, I can't remember how many it is, but I, I was checking last night. And I'm just like, so teams are flipping. Florida State, Coleman was the receiver from Michigan State that went to Florida yep. State and balled out in that game. So mm-hmm. people are adding pieces. It's free agency in the NFL every year where they just yep. go look and say, okay, where do we need a guy? And that's what they're doing. And these coaches are that leadership matters. Mm-hmm. It matters a lot. And that's what happened. To, you know, we're not going to beat on Auburn anymore for what happened the last couple of years, but it matters, you know, because you got to have someone that one believes in a program, but mm-hmm. know how to build a program. You know, totally. like that's the most important thing. Nor Mike Norvell's done an absolutely good job at Florida State. What Agreed. he took over, it was kind of rough. You know, and and they had some losing seasons. And the last mm-hmm. year, they ripped off six in a row. They finished ten and three. This year, they went out and got a guy like Coleman. They got a uh, it's like three or four other big transfers. And now that team is looking to be the Florida State that it used to be. So yeah. College football is about to be really fun. What's interesting to me, though, and this is just tale as old as time. The Pac-12 and the ACC are now out here acting like that X that you finally are like, I'm ending this relationship. I'm breaking up with you. And then they start acting right. They start acting like the the one you wanted them to be. They're doing all the right things. They're on their best behavior. And you're like, why weren't you doing this all along? Why did it take me breaking up with you for you to act right? Pac-12 undefeated in week one and ACC with some of the biggest wins, top 10 wins, like all this crazy chaos for both of these conferences that have been an afterthought and are now parting ways with all their respective schools. Where has this been all along, man? Hey, they got to show that they belong. They, they got to show they got to show they deserve some of this money that's out there nowadays. You know, that's that's what it yeah, all but- comes down to, because had they been winning like this, They'd have been getting more televised games. That's my point. But they wouldn't win it like this. The Pac-12 only had two teams over the last, what, 10 years? You know, three mats. Uh, You look at, you know, the ACC. It's been Clemson for the last decade. And now you got Florida State. Now you got North Carolina. Now you got Duke showing something. So, but guess what? Now all of a sudden, it's just getting wild. So, I know the commission commissioner of the of the patch. We're probably sitting there like, well, how? Where was this at? You know, like <laughs> literally. Where was this okay. at? Let me get your opinion on two coaches in the aftermath because we all love to uh, act prematurely in college football. <laughs> Deion Sanders gets the win at TCU, forty-five to forty-two. Mm-hmm. His son absolutely balls out over 500 yards on the day. Is this, again, premature, Mm -hmm. is this an indicator that Dion really is going to absolutely impact the college football world by making Colorado a real contender? I do think he's going to make a huge impact. And the reason I'm going to say that is they brought in 86 new players. And they never played together. And the fact that they went into TCU, of course, it's not the TCU last year. You know, they're ranked 17, but Georgia put up 70-some of them last year, I think, in the championship game. 
And uh, and then Colorado just exposed them again. Uh, Shadour played an absolutely phenomenal game, yeah. along with Travis Hunter and and that offense. Now defensively, they still got to find some answers. Uh, defensive, yeah, defensive, but he impacted because no one's talked about Colorado football for the last twenty years. So true. And they had one win last year, and then this year they beat a ranked team in their first game of the season in their opponent's stadium. Mm-hmm. So. Even if they don't win the Pac-12 this year, even if they don't win 10 games this year, they're trending in the right direction. You saw the AD hugging Prime and crying after that game because mm-hmm. you know he probably took a little bit of flack, you know, to say, hey, you're hiring Dion. You know, comes Dion comes a lot of other There's stuff. a risk. Yeah. You know, it's a risk. And 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 the fact that Dion went out there and he delivered, he had his team to deliver, I think shows – one, it shows the people like, okay, he came from Jackson State and he still can win. You know, mm-hmm. Shadour came from Jackson State, Travis Hunter came from Jackson State, and they still can participate at a high level, even against D1 programs. Because yeah. these was D1 players coming out of high school. Those people don't realize Shadour was a four-star quarterback. You know, Travis Hunter was a top player in the nation. You know, he came out. So they belong at this level, you know, right. and uh, and everything. So it was exciting to see that aspect, though, because I think he brings a fun dynamic to college football. College football is good when a lot of people is good. It's not good That's when true. Georgia, Bama, you know, saying a couple of things. It's good when a lot of people are good and a lot of unexpected happen. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So that's what Less makes college football. So I, I do think he's going to impact college football a lot this year because people are not just looking at the top teams that's been the last couple of years. People are looking mm-hmm. nationally all the way around, even Auburn. You know, people want to see what happens in Auburn this year, you know, yeah, so, totally. so I, I do think he's going to make a huge impact. Uh, he's already has. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's very polarizing though. I will say oh, yeah. even his post game <laughs> press conference. I'm like, if I was a reporter sitting in that room, I would be so annoyed like this, just, yeah. but like yeah. it, he's putting That's his action yeah. behind his words. So honestly, like you can't fault him for it, but It'll definitely be a compelling story to follow throughout the season. That mm-hmm. is no question, especially with the way they started. Uh, and the other one that we love to jump on already is <laughs> this: is this the beginning of the end for Dabo? Ooh, I can see Dabo probably if 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 Napier doesn't get it right in Florida, I can see Dabo going to Florida. Um. Why have I never thought of that? It's interesting because, you know, I, there are so many things about Dabo that I have a lot of respect for, and I I really always have. And I look in the ever changing nature of this industry and of a lot of industries, everyone is entitled to have their morals and their beliefs that they want to stand on. And Dabo did not agree with the transfer portal and he has Mm -hmm. refused to partake in it for years. And at first I understood because honestly, I was reluctant to the transfer portal. I feel like it has created a a wave of disruption of the very things that college football was built on commitment. I mean, you and I have talked about this Mm -hmm. ad nauseum. And so I kind of understood like this guy believes in recruiting your kind of talent, developing within commitment to team and program and finding success together. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. 
but there also came a point where it is like you're fighting this battle on your own and the transfer portal isn't going anywhere. And you get to a point where you're hindering these kids and their opportunities by not adapting a little bit. It doesn't mean you totally abandon your belief system. You may just have to adjust it a little bit to the changes that have to happen to your program. And so now he is kind of coming around to it and taking transfers here and there but it may be too little too late. But honestly, some of these problems that you look at with Clemson last year, this year, they have nothing to do with the athletes. They have nothing to do with, with that. It honestly does kind of become scheme system. Honestly, the DJ Uyunglele thing really hindered them because Dabo stuck with him way longer than he should have. So it, you know, conversations are inevitably going to start. Like if Clemson continues to fall short when they've got the guys. I saw a comparison stat last night, Jay. 56 four- and five-star recruits on Clemson's roster. Wow. Two. Two for Duke. Wow. Two, and you four, or five stars. Tell me coaching doesn't matter. Tell me coaching yeah. doesn't show up on the field. Like, I just think that those conversations are inevitably going to happen. I don't think that Dabo's a bad coach, though, but – his time may be running out in Clemson. I, I agree with you fully. I, I say this. That's why assistant coaches are so great. Yeah. He had, uh, what's the D coordinator? Is that head coach of Oklahoma? Venables. 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 He had him mm-hmm. as his D coordinator for all those years that they had great defense. And they dominated. And yep. ever since he has left Clemson and been the head coach at Oklahoma, Clemson defense have not looked anywhere near what they yeah. look like. When he yeah. was there offensively, their offensive coordinator. So he got rid of him. Streets. He played at Clemson, coached at Clemson. He felt like it was time for a change. He goes out and get TCU's offensive coordinator. He comes over this year. And, you know, of course, it's not his fault they're getting from the ball inside their 10 yard line. But at the same right. time, <laughs> continuity does not look the same. Dabo yeah. does really well when he has assistants that stick with him for years. Anytime he has to go through some type of change, he gets uncomfortable and it's, and, and things kind of go sideways. That's why That's I say so true. you can stay at a place long enough for a time, but then it may just be time for a, a new spot. And I think yeah. Florida, Florida may become calling for him after this season. And Clemson may be okay with it, which yeah. we did not expect to see three years ago. But what a jam-packed <laughs> week one it was. Welcome back, college football. I have missed you. And we will be back next week to break down all the action from week two, the Tigers trip out to the West Coast. So make sure you keep it locked here on Believe in Everything Auburn. You can subscribe if you have not already, and you'll get a notification every time we release an episode. You can do that in the podcast app, on Spotify, on Believe's website, wherever you get your podcasts. And we are also on Believe's YouTube channel if you prefer to watch in video form. That will do it for us. Enjoy week two, everybody. I will be on the call for Kent State versus Arkansas, 4 p.m. Eastern on SEC Network. And I will be seeing T. Will, and I will probably bust out rapping Tiger Walk. (laughs) He's going to tell me to shut up. But nonetheless, we'll be back, and we look forward to breaking it all down with you next week. War Eagle, people. War Eagle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.